good evening and welcome to another episode of Religions, Regimes and Refugees and the Multicultural Mess and Secular Scam. Thank you so much for joining me today again. It is the weekend so I'm uh, I'm uh, doing this podcast a little bit later. I was doing some research. Uh, it was a beautiful sunny day. I was also mowing my lawn, uh, doing housework and uh, yeah, uh, summer is summer. It's always beautiful. Um, so we'll get down to it. We have done many episodes up till now um, based on uh, the history of the Indian subcontinent. We went in the history of um, the pre-Vedic, the Vedic age, how we came down to um, the Vedas, the Vedic age, the Indus Valley civilization, a little bit of the history of the Indian subcontinent that we went into the history of the Abrahamic religions. Um, we came out of there and then came back into the Indian subcontinent um, and uh, we've looked at different um, different eras just just a bit because it's too much to go into every single one of them um, we have uh, looked at what the Indian subcontinent was before the British came so we know now that uh, uh, the Mughal Empire collapsed uh, the Marathas were the inheritors of the subcontinent and from them uh, the British fought against the Marathas um, and the Anglo-Maratha wars. The Marathas finally lost power and the East India Company took over and from that we got the British rule. We know that there was poverty on the Indian subcontinent unlike what the Indian National Congress has told us all these years. We know what the villages in the Mo in Mughal India looked like. Uh, it was not a pretty picture, and we know that the Zamindari and Jagidari system was the Indian version of serfdom and slavery. Uh, practically, uh, we know it's definitely serfdom, and uh, unfortunately, the infighting left left us weak on the inside, traumatized. Um, hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years of uh, trauma um, and by the time the British came there was nothing left L literally nothing left to give just peanuts um, and thereby we came under the rule of the British Crown from 1857 after the Battle of Plassey um, which actually was sometimes called the in, in the first war of independence it's absolutely sick when I hear that because it was not a war of independence. The British were supported by Indian local Maharajas and Nawabs. If you go onto the on to the internet, you will see that there were Indians, uh, Indian uh, factions on both sides, uh, and the British allied with the the British were a small group of people, and they allied with Indi with the Indians on the inside. Uh, those who agreed with them, who stitched a coalition together, and so they won the Battle of Plassey. Um, and that was from 1857 onwards, so it can be an, uh, an Indian battle of independence, especially given that the uh, East India Company did not rule the whole of the Indian subcontinent by any means. Um, and so it gives us the British, and uh, obviously they were there, the British crown was there only for 90 years. I mean, I, I can't believe we are having all this talk about it when they were there for 90 years, but yes. Um, there's no talk about what happened prior. With everything was perfect, everything was, oh, we were so rich, everyone was so uh, great, but nothing to talk about the poverty on the Indian subcontinent, 
ignore the zamindari system, which was the main uh, character of, of the uh, fall of the Mughal Empire and the eventual Islamic occupation of India. Nothing was talked about. And uh, then all of a sudden we talked about gaining independence, uh, you know, because it suits our narrative. Uh, so I've spoken about this, done a podcast about this t- uh, before, and I'm going to talk about um, the British time in India and how the myth of Indian independence, absolute myth of Indian independence. Um, so we're going to go into the brief uh, history of the myth of the Indi- of India India's independence. Um, and tomorrow we'll talk about um, different uh, uh, different times. Uh, we'll talk about uh, the Lucknow Pact. We'll talk about the Khalifat movement. We'll talk about um, different uh, concepts during the, 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 the Indian independence myth and the struggle, the myth of the struggle. Uh, today we'll give you um, a brief... We'll go around briefly to the um, Indian freedom struggle because there are countless, as you can imagine, dozens and hundreds and hundreds of books written upon this, and each one has their own uh, opinion, uh, looks at it from different angles, but mostly it was Hindus versus Muslims. It's, oh, the British were bad and they, and they created the divide between Hindus and Muslims, and that's the basic narrative, but it's a myth. So, um, before uh, Jinnah and, and the British created um, you know, divided Hindustan, okay, there was no such thing as, as, as the Hindu Rashtra, okay, um, there was, Hindu nationalism was not created by the BJP or Hindu Rashtra, it was created by Jinnah and the British and the Indian National Congress, and I've spoken about this before, someone mentioned it, you know, we could talk about the BJP creating Hindu nationalism, Hindu nationalism, the BJP is a nationalist party in Hindu nationalism, uh, but it was never started, Hindu nationalism was not started by the BJP, not, not, nor even by the Hindus, because there was no Hindu nationalism before uh, India was born, it was Jinnah, the British and the Indian National Congress who created Hindu nationalism and the Hindu Rashtra, there was none before that. Um, they were the ones who divided India, and now they are blaming everyone else for Hindu nationalism, and it's gone around the world that they are so worried about the Hindus after 3,000 years of butchering uh, history, and, and, and millions of people, millions of people around the planet, these Abrahamic colonizers, but what can I say? Uh, the Hindus did not create Hindu nationalism, uh, it was Jinnah, the British the Congress, that created this concept, this narrative. Uh, these three factions fought like cats and dogs, okay, uh, from the 1920s onwards. And to camouflage, they blamed the Hindus for communalism, caste, majority rule, uh, fascism, um, Dalit, everything. They refused to take their responsibility for their infighting, which created this divide. Uh, the split up of the Indian national um, um, of the Indian subcontinent, and finally um, the narrative that's still going on today. So this is the current that form our waves, the atwa, all that lies in between.
we it's important that you understand this part of history uh, of course these three factions considered themselves secular liberal egalitarian and they were only fighting the big bad Hindus and we're hundred years later we're still looking at them we're still looking at them and saying are you serious you've been fighting for so long you don't even know what you're fighting about anymore you're fighting for so long you don't know why you're fighting anymore you're fighting for so long you don't even recognize each other anymore so let's look at the currents that form the waves so we know the Mughal Empire comes down in 1707 with Aurangzeb, although they continue for another hundred and fifty years but they were just nominal heads they had no power the actual powers went away with the Ranzip. Um, the Congress always painted a picture of the Mughals did everything for India, took India to be this great, uh, uh, took India to great heights. India became, <coughs> sorry, India became the um, 35th, uh, had 35% of the, in, of the GDP of the planet, everyone came to the Indian subcontinent. It was because of this great Mughal empire that we got uh, this glory, and they were so liberal and they were so secular, and they came, but it was not. We've seen that there was poverty on the Indian subcontinent, the villages were in poverty, the peasants were in poverty, there was serfdom on the Indian subcontinent, there was also genocide. And none of it was brought to the fact because, oh, we have to blame the big bad Hindus for everything. Um, and their narrative was the Mughals made India rich. An empire is not going to collapse and leave all this money and wealth to the ground. Okay? They're not going to leave the, 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 uh, the wealth to invaders. And besides, the invaders don't come. The problem never starts from the outside. It starts from the inside. So you see Pakistan going down because they don't have any money. They've used it for fighting, 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 and it's gone out the window. Sri Lanka is the same. They've been in war ever since 1947, one faction or the other. Uh, what is it left them? Nothing. Absolutely nothing, and they have a, a crisis. They don't have any money. Okay. So when a country comes down, when a kingdom comes down, when an empire comes down, it's because of infighting there's no money and that means there's always been already been a build-up by corruption um, corruption uh, bad economic policies slavery um, bad education no foundation no structure of this of the of the land and and so the um, the Mughal Empire came down in 1707 and we were told the British took over but it was actually the um, the Maratha Empire who takes over and brings the uh, Mughal um, Empire down from the inside. Um, so the violence on the inside, infighting, trauma, corruption, rape, famines, jizya attacks, they had nothing left to defend their territory, hence no money, and they eventually came down. The violence brought the empire down, the trauma on the inside led to dissident groups, aligning with others on the outside, which were European powers, Sivaji's empire. Um, uh, just like the loyalists left today, uh, allies with socialists and Marxist groups from all over the world, trying uh, to portray India as a fascist regime and with the big bad Hindus. Similarly, in those days, the moment the empire was collapsing, they, they allied with different groups on the ground. They allied with 
with the Swazi Marathas Empire, who finally took over. They allied also with the British East India Company and, and other uh, European powers who were trading on the inside. But it was the Maratha Empire that brought them down. The Mughals uh, break down into small kingdoms, which uh, their people, uh, the Mughals, allied with the uh, European traders. Most people, um, yeah. Uh, most people, like I said, think it was the British that bring down uh, the Mughals. But in reality, the Maratha Empire that brought the Mughals down from the inside, it reminds me of the fight going on in Maharashtra right now. With the ship signings led by Eknath Shinde fighting against the NCP and the Congress, Islamist as I like to call them, Ignat Shinde, who uh, who decides, uh, who says that um, the Thakre is now, uh, he has given up his ideology, he has given up his way of life, and he's succumbed to the, um, he, he's succumbed to the Islamists of, of the Indian National Congress, the NCP, uh, camouflaged by their secularism, secular card, but in reality, they are just Islamists. Uh, and they are not secularists, they are relics of a colonial empire and uh, they, they, their only goal is to destroy their Vedic civilization from the inside. They will refuse to consider it for anything that the Vedic civilization was the, the slime of the planet, they think, um, and use it as a garbage bag to dump all their problems in it while taking a clean shit for themselves. Similarly, in the past, Savaji did not, uh, this young lad called Savaji, uh, 400 years ago, was another tiger who refused to bow down to the Sultan of Nojapur. Uh, when his father took him to the court, Savaji refused to bow down. He would later go on to form the Maratha Empire and be styled Chhatrapati Savaji Maharaj, joined by the peasants who were enslaved by the Mughals and the Zamindari system, he rose to power and brought the Mughal Empire down. And 400 years later, Eknath Shinde is doing the same thing. He is the real Chhatrapati Sivaji Maharaj of our time. He will ref he refuses to bow down to Islamists, to uh, fake secularists um, who, who do not care about this country, who want to rule for money and power. Uh, but they will, they will backstab this country and our traditions and going to take it to the ground, but Ignat Shinde is a tiger, the avatar of Sivaji Maharaj, and he's going to rise up, and he's going to take this country, he's going to rise up, and he's going to take the um, state of Maharashtra to a different level, I hope so. Uh, thank you for, my dear Sivaji, we owe you big time, and thank you, Ignat Shinde, you are a real saint. Uh, of course, the Indian fighting did not stop as we are currents and waves. Waves do not stop, neither do currents. If we do not introspect, we will fall back into the same pattern. Whatever money or gold was left over by the Mughals was squandered away by the individual uh, uh, Muslim kingdoms, the Maratha Empire by infighting and constant wars with these kingdoms who allied with the European powers also came down. It is a lesson to be learned by the people of today. Uh, the Battle of Plassey took place in 1757 and led to the uh, 
uh, East India Company taking over one third of India. This led to further corruption and wrongdoings. Um, we know that as the uh, East India Company took over, there was corruption. They tried to do things correctly. Uh, they tried to do um, a lot of things, a lot of um, rework the Indian subcontinent, but I don't think they realized that it was so difficult uh, to control uh, the Indian subcontinent. It's a vortex of high-powered um, high-powered individuals, high-powered energy field, and you cannot control them just like we cannot control anyone today. Uh, it's very difficult to change someone's mind and in, input a system into this land um, and get people to convince convince people to bring you, uh, to, to be on your side, and they were only there for 100 years. Uh, the goal of the British East India Company was never to stay on the Indian uh, subcontinent, was never to be involved in any pol political activity whatsoever, but they realized that what their rules and regulations were in London were not the same as the reality on the ground. They had to get into politics in order to survive. They had to uh, get involved in local customs, local uh, alliances with local people on the ground, local tribes on the ground, if they ever had to be successful. They entered into contracts which were not uh, um, kept uh, by the locals who would just run away with goods and services and not bring back the money. So they finally took over in order to put in a system of judiciary um, administration and that's how the British East India Company uh, became a power to reckon with on the Indian subcontinent. Um, of course, uh, they became corrupt. They were impeached by, Warren, uh, by Edward Burke in London in Westminster, who was irked by what the Indian uh, East India Company was doing on the ground. Um, Warren Hastings was the governor who was impeached and thus bought came to an end, the British East India Company, a hundred years later. Um, the British Crown then takes over, and, the control, and they control about one third, um, sorry, the British Crown takes over by forming a confederation of kingdoms of Nawabs, Maharaja, and stitched together an alliance. The British providing the administrative powers and military assistance. Members of the alliance provided locals and soldiers to the British Army for military alliances, okay? So the British were a very small group of people. They never really had the numbers. They had to form an alliance on the ground uh, with the locals. And in order to form that alliance, they then got, um, they then actually get members of the local communities to join their armies. And they had a huge British India army, which, control the masses, which control the administration and the security uh, on the ground uh, for 90 years until 1947. With all these members of the British India Army uh, were, uh, most of them were locals. And a bulk of the, uh, of the army, uh, the soldiers came from Punjab because Punjab was under British administration like um, Bengal. So most of the people who joined the British Army, uh, British in the Army, were from Punjab. Uh, they were allies, and they supported the British, uh, and the British supported them. Uh, for 
people who think that the British uh, were the ones who brought down the Sikhs and uh, who created the divided rule, no. Uh, the British actually supported, invested in Punjab a lot. Um, and the British and uh, the Punjab, uh, people of Punjab, whichever group they belong to, actually supported the British Raj. Um, in um, 1850, um, in 1858, Queen Victoria proclaimed that all Indians are equal. For knowledge, uh, there was no concept of India before the British came. Okay, it's only when they take over the Indian subcontinent. Most of India was slaves, serfs of the zamindari system, and trading with the British uh, to the East India Company gave them an outlet. Uh, the British came with a new administrative system, a new judiciary system that still continues today, an agricultural system, and factories, modern factories, because they were uh, the industrial revolution was going on in uh, on in England, and this was then transferred over to the Indian subcontinent. The first generation of uh, Indians also started going to London to get educated uh, and to be ed educated in. in administration, British administration, uh, the British who needed locals on the ground in order to administer because they were not very big group of people, um, but they were not exactly wanting to give total control to the Indians for uh, fear that the Indians, once they get control of the Indian subcontinent, they know how to administer, uh, they will not want the British anymore. Um, in 1885, um, the British started forming platforms for these new elite to give them a voice because the British stopped, did a huge, made a huge contribution to stop slavery uh, on the Indian subcontinent, in Africa, in Europe, uh, and in all its colonies. They were, they did use slaves in the beginning of their colonization, but they also did a big, big step, they, they took a big boost in stopping slavery all around the world uh, in their colonies and uh, that only comes with voice, with a voice. If you don't have a voice, you cannot stop slavery. Slavery starts with your voice, with the, with uh, stopping your voice and this is exactly what the left wants to do. They come out with this hate speech. What is their hate speech? It's just a way to stop your voice. It's a way to stop your opinion, it's a way to you, for them to control your opinion and for you to subjugate, be subjugated. If you don't have a voice, they can subjugate you and they can control the narrative. But if you have a narrative and you, they cannot control you, you will never be their slave and they will never have power. And so the hate speech, the hate card, the Islamophobic card, the racist card, uh, intolerant card is all because of one thing and one thing only in order to put you back on your slave plantations. So the British, while they were on this uh, role of of giving up slavery or stopping slavery, they, they had to form platforms to give people and the educated elite uh, a voice uh, to discuss, to share ideas. It's very similar to the local media platforms of today, social media. Um, these platforms, um, um, and I heard, um, yeah, these platforms like uh, Google, um, you have Facebook, you have Twitter, you have all the, uh, different uh, social media platforms and I heard uh, in Sonia Gandhi once in, in, in Parliament saying um, you know uh, we must stop this we must stop the social media because it's been a thorn in the side Indian democracy um, 
the social media is is causing a big harm to the to the Indian subcontinent and to Indian democracy, which is weird because uh, the Indian National Congress was a media platform, a social media platform of its time to share ideas, and they went off and spawned a, a political movement, which is exactly what people are doing today. So the labels have changed, but the mentality has not. Um, and of course, like I said, because they start, became a movement, then they became a political movement, and finally now they have taken over the Indian subcontinent. The British were instrumental in getting rid of slavery all over the planet, and slavery starts with your voice. And these platforms were formed, and it spurned out movements, and one of the movements was the Indian National Congress. Um, by in 1878, a very few Indians had, were given opportunities to join the Indian civil service to administrate systems, um, and therefore we had something. In 1906, the British Liberals had a landslide victory. John Morley was the British Secretary of State for India, and he wanted to form other platforms to counter people uh, who wanted the British to leave, and among them were the uh, radical nationalists of the Indian National Congress. They were considered, the INC, the Indian National Congress, were considered radicals, not moderates, but radicals during the last half of the 19th century by the British. Can you imagine that? They were right. Uh, by 1909, John Morley's ju judgments were guided by Lord Minto. Lord Minto received a group of people who went on to state that the Muslims had to be given a voice. Of course, these were the elite nobles left over of the, of the Mughal Raj, and they didn't care two hoots about the Muslims, but they just wanted power, so it was very easy to use the Muslims as, as guinea pigs to form a platform uh, for Muslims. Um, and the Lord, and, and thus the Indian um, All Indian Muslim League was formed. By 1909, uh, commonly known, uh, the Indian Council Act was was formed, commonly known as the Morley Minto or the Minto Morley Reforms. It was an act of, of the Parliament of the United Kingdom that brought about a limited increase in the involvement of Indians um, in the governance of British India. The act introduced elections to legislative councils and admitted, and admitted uh, Indians to councils of the Indian Secretary, the Viceroy, and the Executive Councils of Bombay and Madras states. The Muslims were granted separate electorates, and the Indian nationalists considered these reforms too cautious, uh, and the Hindus resented the introduction of separate Muslim electorates. So uh, they brought about a limited increase of involvement of Indians, okay. Um, it was taken by, uh, in, in a good sense by some, some the Indian National, the INC considered them too cautious, they wanted more reforms. The Muslims were happy to get separate electorates and Hindus did not like this divide and rule, this um, division of separate electorates. Now, the separate electorates um, were only formed for administrative uh, reasons. Each group was representative, uh, represented in the administrative section by their own representatives, a system of communal uh, representation, as it would be called. But because the Indian subcontinent was was a huge spectrum of groups, subgroups, sub-subgroups, 
and everyone wanted a place in this new administration and the British could not did not know how to manage this uh, this vortex um, these currents and waves and so they tried to give everyone uh, a chance and which is what we call reservations today we still have that on the Indian subcontinent we have it all over the world mine, uh, you know reservations for minorities scheduled class scheduled tribes um, but this this um, separate electorates were only given because uh, each group wanted uh, a place in the administration and to give them each a chance they had separate electorates um, but uh, like I said the Indian National Congress thought it was not enough the Hindus the Muslims were happy to be given a separate electorate the Hindus said no, look, we do not want this, we do not like it, it is going to cause a divide and rule, because uh, any system of communal representation was a serious hindrance to the development of self-government, because you split into small blocks and you never join again. And this would encourage future demands that would lead to hindrance of self-governance. Uh, self um, and this is very important to know, this is where self, uh, separate electorates started. Oh, as we uh, know today, minorities and majorities, uh, or reservations for minorities, special money given to minorities, it is always a hindrance because it leads to a platform for communal repre representation and it encourages future demands which would eventually split your kingdom, your state, your country and it will cause a state within a state always it is never a good thing but it was done because the British didn't know any other way how to go about it and give everyone else a chance um, and so here we were in 1909 the Indian Council's Act um, again if you want to read a very good book on this I have mentioned this before uh, uh, the book is called Jinha uh, written by Ishtiak Ahmad a Pakistani um, a Pakistani Swedish author uh, and uh, science well political scientist and he's very very good in explaining this um so this brought about uh someone called muhammad ali jinnah he was a very prominent uh he studied in the united kingdom um he came back he was an advocate um he was a prominent very prominent leader of hindu muslim unity uh studied in in the uk as i mentioned he was uh a prominent member of the Indian National Congress, he supported Hindu-Muslim unity and self-governance, a united government in India. Um, and then came along Mahatma Gandhi. And the two did not get along. Now, what people don't know, they were Gujaratis, um, but the two did not get along. Gandhi called, Mahatma Gandhi called Jinnah a Mohammedan, and, and Jinnah did not like it. He, he did not like it one single bit. They were opposites of each other, uh, and they did not get along. Uh, the Congress, the Indian National Congress, which they were part of, um, were had many internal factions. Okay, and and Muhammad Ali Jinnah was a very prominent member of the Indian National Congress of the elite, uh, already established as a politician in uh, by the time Mahatma Gandhi comes along. Uh, and the Congress, like I said, unfortunately has many factions, the right wing, left wing, socialist wing, centrist wing, then you had Mahatma Gandhi. Um, it was also a movement of the elite, okay? It was just a few elite 
who tried to control the narrative very much like the Indian National Congress has done for the last 70 years. But Gandhi, when Mahatma Gandhi came along, he wanted a mass movement. He wanted a grassroots movement, which is what how politics is run at the grassroots levels like we have in politics today. Jinnah was opposed to this. He knew that these mass movements, something would go wrong because you're playing with people's emotions. The moment you get people emotional, uh, they will go out in all different directions and they cannot control them. This leads to anger, this leads to violence. But Mahatma Gandhi wanted satyagraha, that means non-violence. So he wanted this mass movement, he wanted this to form the satyagraha movement uh, at the grassroots level, but non-violence, using non-violence, and that is eventually what got us freedom from the British. Uh, it's ironical because um, Gan and Jinnah finished his, his life and, and partition of India on the basis of mass movement, but he used violence. So he was against Mahatma Gandhi and his non-violent Satyagraha, but he, he rolled out his own ethnic cleansing jihad and mass movement and emotional uh, trolls and trauma, uh, ethnic cleansing. Uh, which was which led to partition. So he could have easily gone with Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi. He could have easily done this together, but he didn't. He thought he he knew better, and he used the same grassroots ideology, but with violence, which is typical of Islam and Abrahamic religions. They have no idea what non-violence is, and uh, that is why um, India separated actually. Um, but originally, Jinnah left the Indian National Congress for this. He left the Congress for Satyagraha. He did not want this emotional grassroots level because Jinnah was an advocate. He was a very good advocate. Um, and he, uh, was, he wanted on a constitutional basis. He wanted to use constitutional uh, amendments and, and, and uh, bargaining chips in order to get independence without using the mass movements and the emotions on the ground. Um, he wanted it to be the constitutional way. Mahatma Gandhi says, no, we, I want to do the Satyagraha way, the mass movements, the grassroots uh, activities. And this uh, created the divide. Jinnah left the Congress in 1920, and that was the end of it. It was the beginning of the fault line for um, the, se the separation of the Indian national of the Indian subcontinent into two different countries. So people think it was Pakistan, but it was not Pakistan. The, the reason for Hindus and Muslims uh, fighting with each, each other was Pakistan or the Hindus, the big bad Hindus. It was this actual event of 1920 which eventually led to the split of the Indian subcontinent. Um, Mahatma Gandhi's local style of leadership gained great popularity with Indian people, and Gandhi became the face of the nation. And like other leaders of the Indian uh, of the Congress, Jinnah also started losing his feet in the Indian National Congress, um, and finally formed, uh, went on to join the Indian All India Muslim League. But there was something else that also um, was important. That was that was a reason why Muhammad Ali Jinnah split. National Congress. Um, on one side, you had Nehru and his socialism. Socialism is a modern form of feudalism. The state controls everything. 
Whoever controls the state controls the narrative, controls the money and the power. They use modern names such as democracy and voting, but they control the media and the academia, and hence they control the votes. They, uh, they control the electoral system and thereby your mind, hence they are controlling democracy. It's still feudalism. The labels will change and the mentality will not. But Jinnah was a free market constitutionalist, a free market capitalist. He built his legal advocate business on, on his own steam and his own hard work. He was well-spoken, a very well-educated Indian. He was a free-flowing free metaphysical spirit. He spoke his mind, and that's why he was so popular. Because the more you speak your mind, the more you're free, the, more, the better ideas you have, the more you can challenge, the more you can improve, uh, the more you can learn and adjust. And he could speak his mind, and so people actually listened to him because for the first time they were seeing this passion from the inside compared to the subjugation and slavery of the Islamic mind. Uh, they were seeing this free-flowing metaphysical energy, and they just, it was a spark, that's all they needed. He asked for Pakistan, um, sorry, he wanted a free market economy system. He did not want socialism. Uh, because socialism was feudalism, control of the state, and being a Muslim, uh, being a non-Hindu, uh, he did not, after 1100 years or 1200 years of Islamic rule in whichever format, um, going through the whole cycle on Indian subcontinent, no, uh, no um, supremacist ideolo ideological Islamic person will want to say, I'm going to be a second fiddle to, um, to a, a kufar, uh, a kufar state, um, and expect to get away with it. It's not going to happen. Uh, yes, but it was about economics. It was about socialism uh, versus free market economy. He wanted that free spirit, that free market economy for the Muslim people as he had uh, formed his, his career and his legacy. And that was the second most important reason why the split happened. Um, now, if the Indian National Congress had introspected why he left at that time, uh, we wouldn't have been in the position we are today. Okay? To say that Jinnah was a prominent leader who was leaving, why, what happened, if they investigated, he would not have been, we would not be where we are today. They did not introspect. The Congress is, a, uh, is in a free fall even today, and they will never introspect. They are a bunch of supremacist group of people who listen to the echoes of their own voice. They use fancy vocabulary and think that by, they can camouflage their supremacy by pointing their, their pontificating, polarizing finger, fingers at others. Uh, but from 1920 to 2022, a hundred years of supremacy, and they have not done anything. They will never introspect. They think they are absolutely perfect. Uh, but you're just outdated and a bunch of feudal, um, feudal supremacist, narcissistic uh, elite who think they, they have the right to everything and, and everyone's mind and everyone's soul. If this was a company, they would be ob obligated to introspect. But they did not. It went wrong. That they are the soul of everyone. At one point, it became too flagrant. They used vocabulary and think they were going to fall for it, but we, Jinnah did not fall for it. And a hundred.
years later, we are still not falling for it, and that's why we are in a free fall. But if you would never be at this point if the Congress Party had introspected in 1991, July 8th. Um, Jinnah, in the beginning, was trying to work out a power-sharing deal with United India because he was against partnership. People think that Jinnah wanted Pakistan, he split the Indian Congress, but it was not like this. He wanted first free-flowing metaphysical capitalist energy versus socialism. He did not want the grassroots movement. He wanted constitutional methods to win freedom. Um, he didn't want the anarchy of grassroots movement. Um, and yeah, absolutely. Uh, he wanted a, a separate electorate, just like the British had separate electorates for administrative uh, re reasons. Uh, he also, Jinnah, wanted was trying to work out a partial deal uh, with the United India because he was against partition in the beginning, uh, even in 1939. But um, it did not work um, in the beginning, obviously. Uh, Jinnah, Jinnah, who was actually in India from 1920 onwards, uh, then after he went, he leaves after he leaves the Congress. He to England. Um, he goes back and forth, his wife dies, and he moves in seclusion to London. He comes back to India at the request of the Indian National Muslim League, and then he has left, um, and by then he has left the Indian National Congress a very long time ago. Uh, he knows the Indian National Congress was powerful. He knows uh, that while the All India Muslim League was just a small group of elite and nobles, were relics of the established Islamic establishment and of the Mughals. Uh, and so uh, he didn't have much to go on. He, until 1939, he was looking at a power sharing deal. He was not looking at partition. He never wanted Pakistan. He wanted separate electorates within the Indian Union. He, but he wanted that all Muslims were within the Muslim areas and all Hindus on the other side. It was a very stupid suggestion and no one paid attention to the land. We were attached to the land, we are magnetic field, we're not people, we're, we're, we're an energy field, and we don't give up our, our, our land for political parties. Um, and then Jinnah made some more mistakes, he, he wasted, um, he wanted to speak for all Muslims, he wanted to be the sole speaker, he wanted all the Muslims, he wanted to be the caliph of the Indian subcontinent, basically that was it. He wanted to be the new modern caliph, but the Indian, other, the multitudes of spectrum of, of communities were not going to give up their, their power, not going to give him their power, and so the fight was on the inside before. Before it started on the outside against the Indian National Congress, the fight was to control the Muslims on the inside and, and negate all Islamic voices, all Muslim voices, and he be the sole spokesman for the Indian, for the, for the voice. And this was another narcissistic uh, but then the problem really started. In 1942, um, besides the Khalifat movement, which was a mistake on the, on, in, by India, by Mahatma Gandhi for siding with it and joining it, it was another mistake. In 1942, the Quit India movement started, um, and it was a, a, a movement started by, uh, by Mahatma Gandhi. It was uh, Jinnah who, who were against it. Uh, completely against it. He said this was an uh, he he 
knew that this was grassroots, he knew that this was a mass movement, it would get emotional, it would get violent, it would lead to anarchy, he was against anarchy, which is ironical because he started an ethnic cleansing later on, but he was against anarchy and he was against this uh, quit India movement. Um, the British put all the Indian national Congress and lead leaders into jail. And that was where we lost in, we lost out on, uh, on independence, on a, a united India. That was when India actually got partitioned because uh, Jinnah filled that void. He filled that void and the British were in the midst of World War II. And Gandhi was against this war. Jinnah committed Indian troops to the war and he supported the British in return for the British supporting him and his narrative, his ideology, the separate electorates within the Union um, and uh, basically the British started then taking up for Jinnah uh, during this 1942 uh, rebellion of the Quit India movement um, and this is when the tide turned. Uh, the British became favourable to Jinnah and his ideas. Uh, remember at that time Jinnah still did not want Pakistan just separate. Um, the British were, remember, were free market capitalists and the IMC, the Indian National Congress, was led by the Nehru faction, was socialist, influenced by the Marxist movements of the USSR. So it was basically on the ground, Jinnah capital, uh, and his capitalism and Nehru and his Marxism and us versus them and the British being capitalists took up for, for Jinnah and this is what was another reason for the split of the Indian subcontinent. The British were completely against socialism and therefore found a strange bedfellow in Jinnah. Jinnah filled that void by the Indian National Congress leadership who was in jail and the British supported him. Uh, he let The British let him have a free hand in, in creating his own grassroots movement. Um, and he used grassroots politics, gave speeches everywhere, went around the country taking his dictatorial and his, his uh, narrative with him. He connected with locals, Muslims, non-Muslims alike. He went to schools, colleges, villages of the village, started dressing like an Indian Muslim. He revived the memory of the old, of the old Islamic past, the glory of Islamic occupation of in, in the Indian subcontinent. Connected with the first Islamic state of Medina and a 7th century and he campaigned at the grassroots level with this narrative. People started joining him, the Muslim electorate who was poor as they were the leftover of the Mughal Raj, who were not given any grants anymore as the Mughals were no longer there. The mullahs were taking advantage of them. They were slaves of the mullahs and the nobles and the elite who could not care two hoots about them. Left to be relics of empires, they found in this new man, uh, Muhammad Ali Jinnah, um, who came around being very well spoken, very well mannered, free-flowing metaphysical energy, passionate about what he wanted. He finally gives them hope. He talks about a new Muslim nation, a new modern Muslim movement where they would be free to do what they wanted to and not change to, change to the Nawabs of the Indian subcontinent and slavery. In 1946, he wins elections and becomes the voice for the Muslim people and then asked to come to Pakistan. This led to violence called by Jinnah in 1946 direct action day and ethnic cleansing of millions, uh, thousands and thousands of, uh, of uh, Hindus um, in order to, to start a civil war and get what he wanted. Uh, you 
see the you see the wars, you see the uh, violence in the streets today um, uh, by all these stone pelters. Who, who, what would they get this from? They get it from Jinnah, who, who used it as a tool, as a tool to get to get what they want. Hundred years later, they still did the same thing. The currents form the waves. The currents you can't change the currents. You can't change the waves because violence is a part of, of jihadi mindset, of the Islamic mindset. You don't get what you want. You, you subjugate people to getting what you want. You create an uh, ethnic cleansing, and that's fine. Um, so in all, India was split not by the British, okay, but due to infighting of the Indian National Congress. It's very clear. There was not a split by the British. The British wanted, uh, did not want to give up India. They wanted India was their golden goose, their their, their diamond, the jewel in the crown. They wanted to stay for 30, 35 years more at least. And remember, they got a huge trashing during the Second World War. They were absolutely bankrupt, and they needed the money to leave the subcontinent. And that's why they did not want to give up India. They definitely didn't want India to. Uh, divided. They had just created a united India hundred years ago. Uh, it didn't come without its problems, but there was no India before. So they created this. They created when India was um, was created. There was uh, a, a united rail system. The only place on the planet, not even the Americas, had a full-fledged uh, rail system. They had a postal system. They had a united armed force which no one in the world had, not Africa, not America, not Canada, not, uh, not the Europeans. India had one big armed forces, uh, armed force unit. They had uh, one postal service. They had a connected United Postal Service. Um, they had a connected uh, rail system, which was elite and it was no different from anywhere in the world. And the goons of the Indian National Congress from the right wing to the left wing, the uh, the fools uh, in Jinnah and Nehru and, and all the elite of that time, they were the ones who broke the Indian subcontinent up. It was not the British. Um, the British, uh, yeah, so uh, people lots like to say that the Punjab, the British split up the Punjab. Uh, Punjab was 50% Muslims, plus or minus a little bit more, about 16, 17% Sikh and the rest Hindu. Uh, and of course, there were smaller groups. All of though the majority of the economics was controlled by the Sikhs and the Hindus. Okay, uh, they were given a chance to decide their own destiny, um, absolutely. But they never came to a consensus. Jinnah wanted all of Punjab for, for Pakistan, all of Punjab, and he knew he was not going to get it. But he fought to the end for all of Punjab. Obviously, he tried to get the Sikhs on board, but the Sikhs did not want to go on board. Uh, some went on board, some didn't. 20% um, of the Sikhs uh, ended up uh, on the Indian side, 20% uh, of Punjab, and 80% was given to, to, to Pakistan. Uh, but because they couldn't come to a consensus, the infighting and the ethnic cleansing was their way of getting what they wanted. Uh, and it led to a bloodbath. But they were given all the opportunities, even till the end, even right, uh, even after independence, they were given an opportunity because the borders were not drawn. Remember, the borders were drawn three days after independence because they 
did not want to uh, spoil the festivities of independence, although there was a bloodbath going on. Uh, hence, Punjab was divided, but not by the British. Uh, Jinnah wanted the entire Punjab, and it ended up 80-20. Um, so Jinnah, in order to get Pakistan from his failed separate elected bid, he used a narrative that Hindus were bad, that Hindus, Hindu imperialism, even though for the last 1,200 years approximately, uh, from 7-11, it was the Muslims who in, invaded and, and through Islamic feudalism, genocide, rape and harems and subjugation, the Hindus were marginalized. The narrative led to a polarization of the Indian subcontinent. He convinced the Muslims the Hindus were bad, and the Hindus started, even the Hindus started to believe it. The Hindus are bad, Hindus are bad, Hindus are bad. But they became the scapegoat for the, for the infighting of the Indian National Congress. Uh, before this, we were all Hindustani, and the fight was on the basis of power, and with different groups on the spectrum joining hands to form a kingdom under a common ruler, and thereby many kingdoms were formed. But there were different groups and ethnicities in in all kingdoms, there were no Hindus and Muslims. Uh, this narrative of the Hindu versus Muslim was started by Jinnah uh, to, as as a narrative, to get what he wanted, separate electorates, um, and on for economics. Uh, but it was not really because the Hindus were bad and the Muslims were bad. It was not us versus them. It was not the Hindus versus Muslims. It was just narrative. Um, the Hindus were blamed for everything, from ethnic cleansing. Um, why? Because they were the majority. The Mughalites, the Hindus were blamed. The the it had become a, a constant narrative to blame every single act of violence of the big bad Hindus. By the Indian National Congress and the Islamic and Christian establishments, those who were relics of colonial empires. Basically, the Indian National Congress' whole existence was about helping the minorities. However, this was not why they want freedom. So why did they create this dividing group? To camouflage for their transgressions. And they widened the fault line where the Hindus were always the bad people who, who were the ones who were discriminatory. The narrative based on fake news that would have never happened if the Indian National Congress had taken its responsibility in 1920 and introspected why Jinnah had left um, the, the Congress at that point in time. The Hindus became the scapegoat. Nehru and the, and the Congress continued the divide and rule. When Indira Gandhi came to power, she started looking for power. Uh, it led to an emergency uh, where she came out with the scam of secularism, uh, which was an offshoot of the narrative of her father and the big bad Hindu and how they were responsible for everything. So the Indian National Congress had to protect the minorities, so that's why they bought in the secularism card. This was an offshoot, this narrative of her father was in turn an offshoot of the narrative of Jinnah, which was an, in turn a further offshoot of the narrative of the Indian National Congress. So today this narrative has become a standard go-to card for anything that goes on on the Indian National Congress. Why? Because people are gullible cattle. They will repeat what others say to fill in their intellectual bankruptcy and their laziness, pretend that they know they are exactly the opposite. Why? Because they've been lying for so long, they don't know what they're lying about. They've been lying for so long, they don't know how long they've been lying for. They've been lying for so long. They, don't, they cannot even recognize each other anymore. Today, the Indian National Com Com 
Congress is coming to an end, but they're not going to change. Even now, the Congress introspect why it's happening, why, why the narrative took place, why the fake narrative was peddled and is still peddled. So we, to continue that, what they stated 120 years ago, we've come to a full circle. The Indian National Congress will not look at the three fingers pointing back at them, but insist on the two fingers pointing at others that divide and rule. Hindus and Muslims uh, and their antagonism has nothing to do with Modi. It is a narrative, a fake, hollow narrative, a perception of your mind. We are just tired of this narcissistic supremacist narrative who refuse, people who refuse to take responsibility for their actions but want to point fingers at others. We just want to get out of this mentality, understand the currents that form our waves and heal. And this time we want real independence. This fake independence of, of, uh, from 1857 to 1947 was a political transfer of power from one group to the other group. In, in reality, it was nothing else. Nothing else. We're still the same people. We still have the same ignorance. We're still the fault lines. We refuse to take our responsibility. We do not want to understand our currents and form our waves, but we want to point fingers at others. So this time, if we want independence, we, we can get it if we want to. We're willing to take our responsibility. We're willing to work hard. Uh, stop name-calling, the labeling, uh, to make others take responsibility for our transgressions. You are a magnetic field, remember. You will only attract people who are mirror image of who you are. And um, so we have to stop. Uh, we have to stop this narrative. We have to understand history. We have to finally gain independence. Uh, stop peddling the myth of independence that was put to us by our, by the Indian National Congress. Understand the currents that form the waves and free ourselves from this colonial hangover um, and heal. That is the most important part. Remember, we are all currents and waves. There is no labels. There is no us versus them. We are all the same currents, the same ocean, the same water, cosmic energy field. Thank you very much. I hope um, I've given you some insight. Tomorrow we'll come back in the Indian independence movement, um, but with individual uh, concepts, with individual uh, um, uh, parts of history. Uh, we will look at them, like the Lucknow Pact, um, different pacts that were were take were were um, strewn together and formed important junctions in this uh, so-called period from 1857 to 1947. Uh, so thank you again once again for your time. Please share this. Please have this conversation with your friends, with your family, with at least five people and, 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 and heal. And that's the most important part that we can do. Thank you. Cheers and stay safe.